Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society. As we continue our evolving series and unpack the century-old debate of evolutionary science versus religion, it may not be so much of a debate as one might think. As you listen to today's scripture verses, think on your own beliefs about the natural world. Do you think there is an intelligence behind it, or is it simply a mystery? Psalms 19 verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. And then in Romans 1 verse 20, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. John Brooke a former professor emeritus at the University of Oxford, theorized that religious belief could survive the Darwinian impact. He once said, Natural selection enabled one to see, almost as in a conversion experience, how nature could counterfeit design. It can be a profound existential experience, when one first sees the world not as the 1700s theologian William Paley saw it, but through the eyes of Darwin. Do you believe in God? When individuals are asked that question, it's usually followed up by another question, why? Why do you believe in God? Consistently, an answer that makes the top five, actually two answers that make the top five consistently, are, number one, the authority of the Bible, and number two, the argument from design. Last week, we talked about evolution in the Bible, This week, we are going to talk about evolution and the idea of design. This idea that somehow we can see the existence of God through nature and its design, the design of nature itself. Now, if we go back in time to our ancient, ancient ancestors, they lived in a world that was quite amazing to them. Recently, my wife has been babysitting a little kitten that she started actually babysitting when it was two days old. It was found, left. What's been amazing is we've watched this process is the little eyes on that kitten are now wide open. Its world has completely changed. Its ears are slowly starting to open, and its auditory ability now will completely change it again. 
So can you imagine when our ancient, ancient ancestors became aware of their surroundings? At first, in my opinion, I think they were probably captured with just the pure awe of what they saw. But then some things happened that left them wondering how beautiful was this world as they watched animals devour each other and even devour their own kind. They saw the threats that exist within their world. Then they saw things that happened within nature. For no reason, it would start raining, and then it would go days, perhaps weeks, with no rain at all. The world seemed unpredictable, but yet at the same time, it was beautiful. So to try to make sense of all of this uncertainty about their world, about nature itself, they begin to wonder if there was some type of force or supreme deity, something beyond themselves that might be able to be tapped into so that it or they could control the uncontrollable. So originally, they came up with deities, and deities were assigned specific areas of nature that they were in control of. Then they got the idea that maybe we could control these deities. Because these deities they saw as being wise and all-knowing. So by the time we get to where the Psalms were written... These ideas of nature and world were underlying their worldview. The individual who wrote that psalm that Janelle read for us believed in a God who was very much hands-on in creation. That's the kind of God you need if you want to be able to control your environment. But they didn't stop there. They actually took it a step further. And in Psalm 139, one of the writers says the following, You, God, created my inmost being. Ready for this? You knit me together in my mother's womb. God is seen as this seamstress who creates human beings and weaves them together. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame, my skeleton was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together, in the depths of the earth. So this idea that we see in the Old Testament is one that builds upon what our ancient, ancient ancestors believed in, that God is very hands-on. And that's a wonderful view of God that gives you a great sense of comfort in a world 
that is chaotic at times. Fast forward to the 1700s. Archdeacon William Pally comes on the scene. And he also looks at nature, but he comes to somewhat of a different conclusion. He concludes that all the intricacies that he sees around him, there has to be something behind it. In the example he gives, he says, imagine that you were out walking, and on your journey, you came across a rock laying in your path. Would you stop and wonder, hmm, I wonder who made that rock? No. But if you kept walking, and all of a sudden you found a watch, would you in your mind wonder if you picked it up and you looked at it, and you saw all the intricacies of how it worked? Would you ask yourself, I wonder who made this beautiful watch? How they brought all these different pieces together and formed them in such a way that it would be able to function in a way that would be beneficial for humankind. And then Pali looked around him at the world and he considered the eye. And he considered the intricacies that must be a there to enable us to see. And then one day in my imagination, he looked down at his hand and he moved his fingers and he realized that Without even thinking about it, he could make his hands do things that were either for good or for harm. And he was amazed. And then he looked inside and thought about what is within us, what we cannot see with our naked eye. And he thought about our digestive system and how it allowed us to take in food, and that food would turn into nutrients that would enable us to have the energy to live. And he concluded, back in the 1700s, that the only explanation possible for what we see in nature and in our very own being is that there must be an intelligent design behind it all. There must be a designer of some sorts. And in his mind, this designer probably had a human mind, a human intellect, just like they did. And so they begin to see God as the ultimate designer of our world. Now, there were some people that didn't buy the argument, but the vast majority of individuals at that time, they were like, oh, yeah, 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 that makes sense. That explains it. We can learn about God through nature because God is the one who designed it all. 
And if we look at it carefully, we can learn something about God. One of those individuals who said, yep, yep, I think he's right, was Charles Darwin. Charles Darwin initially accepted Pally's idea. But then Charles Darwin began to ask questions. If you're comfortable in what you believe, don't ask questions. But Charles Darwin began to ask questions and to explore. And he came to the conclusion that there was this mindless, natural process that took place in creating or evolving in our world. And this mindless, natural process had the ability to create the illusion that there was a design behind it all. Listen to what Charles Darwin said. What's fascinating is this quote comes from an essay that Darwin never intended to be published. It was only found after his death. So I imagine that Darwin jotted this note down, eventually taking all these ideas and creating an essay, and set it aside for the time being. But this one part captures my attention. The old argument of design in nature as given by Paley, which formerly seemed to be so conclusive, fails. It fails now that the law of natural selection has been discovered. There seems to be no more design in the variability of organic beings and in the action of natural selection than in the course of the wind as it blows. You know, that took a lot of courage. It took a lot of courage to change his thinking. As you are aware, Darwin's reception was varied. There were some who immediately said, uh-uh, no, 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 that's, that's too scary, don't go there. We would rather see God as the creator, the one who designed our world. If it's 6,000, 10,000 years, we're fine with that. But Darwin, don't mess with that. There were other individuals who looked at Darwin and said, you got to trust the science. Isn't it amazing that here we are, almost 200 years later, still wondering if we can trust science? But there were some who said yes. But then there was another group of people. These individuals semi-accepted Darwin because, see, what Darwin created for them was a problem. If one of the reasons why people believed that God exists 
is because God is the one who designed the world, and we can see that design in nature. If you take away the argument for design, can you still believe in God? Is there a need for God? Does evolution allow room for God? And so while there were some who wanted to accept the science, they were really, really struggling with this idea of where does God fit in? What do we do with God? And so that tension remains even today. As recent as in the 1980s, there was an individual with last name Phillips who was known as the father of intelligent design. And intelligent design is that effort to take God and bring God into science. If, if we have evolution here based on science, and we're wondering if God even exists anymore, or if God in any way impacted evolution, what do we do? Phillips comes along and says, ah, it's called intelligent design. Not just design, it's intelligent design. And he said there's flaws within the theory of evolution. And these are the points that he brought about. He said that the claim that Darwinian principles such as random variation combined with natural selection, that they, these two principles do not suffice as explanations of the development of a one species from a previous species. So if you have one particular species, intelligent design says, no, 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 no. It couldn't have just somehow morphed on its own into something else, another type of species altogether. Going on, it says, intelligent design refutes a gradual change in evolution, claiming that nature is incapable of self-organization, incapable of gradually developing new and more complex organisms. What's the theory say? It couldn't have happened on its own. It's impossible, intelligent design says. So what's the answer? What is required is the intervention of a transcendent designer. Huh? Something outside of the natural process. Punctuated into the process of gradual change are leaps in complexity caused by a supernatural intelligence. Intelligent interventions into nature are virtual miracles, not subject to naturalistic explanations. Wow. So 
as you look at this evolution, they look and say, no, 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 that couldn't have just happened naturally over time. There had to have been this outside supernatural designer that intervenes. What's fascinating about intelligent design is the response that took place. The vast majority of scientists look at intelligent design and say, no. No. Why? The biggest argument is, if you bring in some supernatural, meaning some force beyond nature, to define what we see, how do you test that? How do you verify that? You can't argue it against it, can you? How do you prove it's right? How do you prove it's wrong? And then all sorts of questions go around that idea of an intelligent designer. Why do you use the word intelligent designer? Why isn't it designers? And why do you assume that this intelligent designer is good? Maybe this intelligent designer is evil. I mean, look at some of the things in nature. Yes, you can be struck by its awe and beauty. But come on, folks. When's the last time you watched National Geographic? Watch one of those little antelopes. That's not beautiful, in my opinion. So how do you explain this designer? Is this designer all-powerful, all-good, all-knowing? So science says, no, we're not going to touch it. Now, there were a group of Christians who looked at intelligent design and said, hey, we're not touching it either. Because it undermines the creation story. And they believe that people that believe intelligent design, they're too, they're too willing to adapt. They're too willing to compromise. But then there was another group of Christians who said, oh yeah, bring it on, here we go. Because see, when I read that to you, did I ever use the word God? No. And in fact, if you look at intelligent design, they will not use the word God. It is an intelligent designer. Why? Because they're hoping to bring nature and this intelligent design into it. And if you bring, if you say God, they're going to, no. But if you say it was an intelligent design, then maybe it will be accepted as science. And if it's accepted as science, guess what? There's a really good possibility that if we get the right people in the state capitol, we might be able to get it taught in the public schools as science. That's what's really amazing. It's because as the teacher comes to it, doesn't each teacher then have the right to decide how much they want to share their own personal opinion about who this designer is?
if you live in Arizona over the last 10 years, this really strikes home for us. Now, here's my problem. I wasn't, a, I'm not a trained scientist. I was required to take biology in college. In high school, I took anatomy and physiology. That's it. So when it comes to understanding the complexities of evolution and keeping up with all the changes that are continuing to, to bring new information to our understanding, to see how it ties into that theory, I, it's beyond my wheelhouse. I'm not a trained theologian. I got enough to be dangerous and mess people's minds up a little bit. But beyond that, I took a class in undergrad. I took a couple classes at seminary. That's it. But despite my ignorance in those areas, I still have to face the question, and I believe you do too. If the origins of our world can be explained without a God, then why is it that we believe in God? And does God somehow tie into evolution? I'm going to give you the answer now. You can either write it down or you can watch the video later and you'll, you'll remember it. It's not too difficult, so listen carefully. I don't know. I don't know. I know enough to have questions, and I know those questions raise doubts for me. But I also know that I'm curious, and I will continue to look and to think and to consider why I believe in God and how, if any way, is God involved in the evolution of our world. For some of us, that might be scary because we don't like the complexities at times of life. We'd rather have it all nicely figured out. But I go back to a man named Jesus. And if there's one thing that Jesus said over and over according to the Gospels is that the essential beingness, if you would, of God is love. So I'm going to take that at face value and believe that the essence of God is love. And because I believe that, I believe it's okay for me to have doubts, to have questions, to have uncertainties. And I believe it's okay for all of us 
And that's what makes living fun. It's like a never-ending roller coaster. The ups and the downs, the twists and the turns, and the times when you actually have to feel like your world is turning you completely upside down. That's the ride of life. But here's the beauty of it. On that roller coaster, you may feel like you're sitting up in the front all by yourself. But if you happen to take a chance and look around over your shoulder, be careful when you do that on the ride because it could be dangerous. You realize that there's a train of people behind you. And there's a bunch of people that rode that ride before you ever got on it. So enjoy the ride. Enjoy the journey called life. Enjoy the questions. And remember in the midst of it all is love. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at beatitudeschurch.org backslash online dash giving. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society.